Good morning, church. We have two readings this morning. The first comes from the Gospel of Luke, and then we'll be going into the First Corinthians. So Luke 24, verses 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and he was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. A second reading, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed." Well, thanks, Leah, and good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. <clears throat> Excuse me, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at church, and it's great to see uh, lots of new faces like we do each and every week uh, here at church. If it's your first time with us, an especially warm welcome to you. It is great to have you with us. And our regulars will know that as we kicked off this Easter celebration a few weeks back, I wanted to frame these five weeks with what I think is a really important question rarely asked. And the question is this, 
Could life be different? Or more fully, could life be different to how I'm currently experiencing it? Whether you're here today exploring who Jesus is and trying to see if there's anything in this Christian thing, or whether you've been following Jesus for many years, I think this is a good question to take some time to ponder. Could life be different to how I'm currently experiencing it? I like that question because in my observation is that most of us, we have formational periods in life where our worldview is kind of formed and then settled and without being challenged, it really changes in life. Each person on the planet has thoughts on why the world is the way it is, what its key problems are, where perhaps some of the solutions may lay. It's our worldview. Our family of origin, our education, travel, best friends, our political leanings, of course, our experience of religion, good or bad, all work together to shape our worldview. And my point is that once our worldview is set, we rarely challenge it, but rather the kind of gravity of how we do life pulls us towards those who reinforce it and never more so than in our sort of social media age. So the question then, could life be different to how I'm currently experiencing it, is one that helps us kind of step back and push back against that kind of gravitational pull towards people who reinforce our beliefs. So if you wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Jesus here today, or listening along online, I really hope that you take up one of the options that we're uh, offering to give this some serious thought in the weeks and months ahead. And I'll talk more about those later. But I'm sure the logic is not hard to follow at this point, that if you were to become convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead that first Easter, and he offers you a rock-solid promise of eternal life, well, of course, it changes everything. And not just simply as some afterlife insurance policy, but knowing that behind our world is a personal God who deeply loves you, life right now could indeed be very different from how you're currently experiencing it in the best possible way. And as for those already convinced of such things as follower of Jesus, long time or short, I also want this sustained look at the resurrection of Jesus, this week is week three out of five, to be really helpful to challenge and to encourage you too. Because I think the gravity of life means that we tend to plateau in our understanding of God and his ways and we settle too much into an overly familiar worldview. Hence, we too need to ask the question, could life be different to how I'm currently experiencing it? So on this Easter Sunday 2022, let's roll the clock back almost 2,000 years to that first Easter and see what we can learn together. Over recent weeks, we've been moving through this part of Luke's Gospel and uh, we've kind of slowed down and we're covering that first Easter Sunday. So a few weeks back in chapter 24, uh, that first Easter Sunday opened very early in the morning as a group of women went to embalm Jesus' body with spices They had been there two days prior and seen where Jesus was laid. They had rested on the Sabbath as instructed, so were up really early to kick off that first Easter Sunday, heading to what they discovered was an empty tomb. 
and two angels appear. It's quite rare in the Bible. You might think Christians believe in angels all over the place. Super rare right across the Bible, only at really important moments. And they ask the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they remind the women of Jesus' words spoken numerous times across the years that he must be crucified and on the third day raised again. And they remembered his words. So they return to tell the disciples, they think it's all nonsense. Peter runs to the tomb, sees it empty and wonders to himself what has happened. Then the kind of camera moves that day to a little later where uh, two of Jesus' followers are walking to a village a couple of hours away from Jerusalem and they encounter Jesus but are kept from recognising him as Jamie opened up for us last week. Jesus kind of rebukes them for not knowing their Old Testament well enough to know that this was always the plan, this was what was going to happen. They should have been expecting it. So he explains how Moses and the prophets all pointed to Jesus' need to come and die for sin. Then as they recline over the evening meal, Jesus kind of opens their eyes spiritually and they recognise him, then he vanishes. So with great excitement, they kind of make a U-turn when they were going down to Victor Harbour, kind of come back to the main city, Jerusalem, and they find the 11 disciples at that point. Judas Twelfth had already hung himself after betraying Jesus uh, for a cash payment. And so we come to today's first reading. Evening has come on that very first Easter Sunday and they're discussing these matters intensely. Then Jesus scares the life out of them, uh, appears among them saying, peace be with you. A common greeting of the day to be sure, yet I suspect it may have been laden with a far deeper meaning as the crucified and now risen Jesus stands among them. The one whose birth some 33 years earlier was marked by a whole company of angels scaring the life out of a different group of guys at night time, uh, some shepherds in a field as a huge amount of angels appear then saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. We see yet again in Luke's account that no one is expecting this resurrection and even after Jesus shows his closest friends his hands and his feet still bearing the scars of crucifixion, we're told that they still did not believe, verse 41, because of joy and amazement. And as Jesus devours some grilled fish, he reminds them, verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And Jesus kind of opens their mind to understand the scriptures uh, and sort of saying, well, in addition to me telling you in advance this was going to happen, God has told you through the centuries in what we now have as the Old Testament, that this was going to happen, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And Jesus adds at this point, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And this sets uh, the pattern to come that over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to disciples, sometimes in smaller groups, sometimes in much larger, teaching about the kingdom of God. And we're told, giving many convincing proofs that he's come back from the dead. Which is how uh, historian Luke begins part two of his account, which we know in the Bible as the book of Acts. 
before ascending to heaven, leaving his church here on earth to proclaim this message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins right across the world. We'll explore that moment, that message in a moment. But for now, can I ask you, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, have you ever said to a Christian friend, I wish I had faith like yours? Christians, you've perhaps had people say that to you, many I suspect have. And amongst friends who love and respect each other, I don't usually take it as an insult, it simply conveys what I think as an incorrect assumption on what faith actually is. And that assumption is that faith is kind of the bit that spans the gap between facts and evidence with what you believe to be true about God. And kind of underlying the question, I wish I had faith like yours, uh, is it's assumed that some of us are, are simply rational beings, limited by what we can see, touch and feel, but others have an almost kind of magical quality uh, to have faith in things without any real evidence. That's kind of the assumption. That's kind of how our world rolls at the moment. And amongst friends, as I said, it's kind of intended, I think sometimes at least, as as a bit of a compliment that there's something about you I like that I wish uh, I had. But in the just slightly less friendly and mutually respectful world of social media, it seems to be hardwired into every atheist's religious meme generator that faith is belief without any evidence. An assumption that only really gained popularity in the 18th centuries through some Enlightenment philosophers like Immanuel Kant and David Hume, but was popularised more recently by atheist Richard Dawkins, whose best-selling book, The God Delusion, was built on the premise of the now-famous Dawkins quote that faith is belief without evidence and reason Coincidentally, that's also the definition of delusion. That's Richard Dawkins' favourite quote. Faith is belief without evidence and reason. Coincidentally, that's also the definition of delusion. Now, even from just today's reading in Luke, you can clearly see at least that is not how the Christian faith began. The disciples that we read about consistently come across as a little slow on the uptake about uh, in the account of Jesus' life. They're not sort of painted into the stories as great heroes of the faith. They were often fearful, disbelieving, doubtful. They need to be won over by evidence repeatedly before believing that Jesus is who he says he was. He's not just some ghost who appeared to them. He was actually God come to earth as a man who had to die according to his own plan and rise again physically from the dead. Even those who could look at and in disbelief touch the risen Jesus couldn't really grasp it was Jesus without Jesus kind of pointing back to the written evidence that this was always the plan. They've been foretold down through the centuries in various parts in advance through Moses, first part of the Bible, the prophets and the Psalms. The Christian faith began and I would argue grew and continues until this day by people considering a whole range of evidence including looking at the Bible's internal arguments 
and assessing the veracity of those who claim to be giving us a direct eyewitness account of the life, death and resurrection of the most well-documented and attested to person in history, Jesus. The historical fact that these same quite slow, doubting disciples all went on to be martyred, well, 11 out of 12 of them, went on to be martyred for their faith. They lived, they didn't sort of become superheroes or celebrities going on the talking tour uh, after this. They lived very difficult lives and 11 out of 12 of them went to horrible deaths, you know, crucified upside down. Yeah, there's a whole, whole range of things. But they went to those deaths for their proclamation about Jesus. And many, of course, took that as further evidence of the truthfulness of their testimony. Because we all kind of get, you don't get sort of 12 guys together to make something up and pull off what you would have to say would be the most impressive hoax in history. It'd be pretty unlikely to get those 12 guys together to be in on a lie without any of them faced by like a horrific execution without one of them, you know, because of their refusal to kind of distance themselves from their world-changing claims about Jesus and his resurrection. You don't get, we all get, you don't get 12 guys to do that without at least one of them recanting and saying, you know what, guys, we made it up, I'd rather not die the horrific death. (laughs) Now, I realise none of these alone are knockdown arguments, but what we're covering today is just a few pieces of a much larger body of evidence that people have looked like with uh, intellectual honesty, a commitment to reason and intelligence and being convinced by. They also looked at the transformed lives of Jesus' followers there that first Easter Sunday and ever since as further evidence. People were one way, encountered Jesus and lived an entirely different way for the rest of their days. Let's have a look at another transformed man, the Apostle Paul, who we read from in our second letter to the Corinthians. He was writing to the Corinthians a few decades after the events of that first Easter, and he says, just to remind you, um, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if you've got your Bibles open, said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Key phrase, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, it just means good news about Jesus, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. So the content, super important, needs to remain unchanged. The Corinthian believers had heard the message about Jesus and the accompanying evidence. They received it, had been convinced by it, and they had taken their stand with Jesus previously which I think leads us to a much more accurate definition of faith, by the way. It's to listen to the claims on Jesus, take on board the considerable evidence, consider it, and once convinced, base your life on what you know to be true. To kind of lean into it, to trust in Jesus, and to be willing to take risks as you follow him, which in Paul's times often meant taking the risk of death to take your stand with and for Jesus as the Corinthians had done. 
So Paul wishes to remind them of the truths they'd received, verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, in case you missed the emphasis there. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Like our historian Luke has been doing, as we've seen over recent weeks, he offers evidence and he points to real people who are still alive. As he said, most of the people who saw Jesus face to face, sometimes in huge crowds, much bigger than this one, are still alive. They're just around the Mediterranean over there. Check for yourselves. And at the heart of this message is the same, is the same as Jesus told his disciples, that he had to die according to the plan that God had been very clear about it for centuries and that our willful ignorance or active rebellion against God and the way we treat our world, how we use our power, for example, at the expense of those who have it, have it not, has incurred for us a penalty. And it's that serious. The Bible cover to cover says that penalty is death. Yet as we saw on Good Friday, Jesus traded his spotless record for our long list of transgressions against God and all that he has created. Jesus kind of subbed in for us to take the penalty of sin for us that we could be brought back into a perfect relationship with God again. And Paul's life too was transformed after meeting the risen Jesus, doing a U-turn from his life of bringing great suffering and even death to Christians who he'd pursued for many years, took it upon himself to kind of persecute early Christian believers. He used to do that, standing around, watching on at executions. He's done a massive U-turn and instead himself endures great suffering so that many may hear this life-changing news. Not one, not two, three missionary journeys, planting churches, shipwrecks, imprisonment, got stoned to the point they thought he was dead at one point and just dragged his body out of the city. But he survived and kept on preaching about the risen Jesus, who out of great love reconciles God's need for justice with his great love for you and I who perpetuate injustice. He brings them together, his love and his concern for justice at the cross. And the Apostle Paul was very clear and rational about how this hinges on the key piece of evidence that God gave through his son, Jesus' resurrection. It all hangs on that. He goes on to say, and this uh, verse will get you to pop up on screen, thanks, Ali. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, a bit beyond where we read today. Here, the kind of very calm, rational logic here. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And he continues with that great clarity and logic in verse 17, that'll be up there as well. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
if only for this life we have hope in Christ and the whole thing's a ruse, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is not just sort of some feel-good religion. It is based entirely on the fact of whether Jesus came back from the dead or not. Then Paul, as if you read on in 1 Corinthians, we won't go through it all now, but he kind of changes tack then after pointing out how hopeless things are if Christ is not raised from the dead. He changes with the confidence of someone who has seen and talked to the risen Lord Jesus himself and has taken his stand with him. He changes tack to bring out the beauty of Jesus' resurrection as a promise of our own life beyond death. For Christ will destroy the enemy of death itself. Now there's much more that can be said about the resurrection, evidence and faith. But for now I want to say, if you're not currently a follower of Jesus... Please don't just let this wash over you at Easter, head into the long weekend and just straight back into life. The news that we can be reconciled and brought back into relationship with God by Jesus and that he has conquered death so that he can offer us eternal life, well, it's, it's life-changing. Could our life be any different today? Absolutely. And I would say to you, if you're prepared to go on that journey, Expect to find good evidence, good reason and logic because it has always been the basis of the Christian faith. Expect, it's been very clear today, expect that you will need to engage with Jesus and the scriptures that he points us to as further evidence if you were to figure this out. And expect, as would be purely logical, that if all this is true you'll meet whole communities of people like us here at the RSL who will attest to you from personal experience of transformed lives that come from considering the evidence and taking your stand with Jesus. We've got plenty of people who'd love to read the Bible with you over a coffee or a beer. It's just what we do. We've also got a series uh, called Life coming up. It's four Sunday nights here at the RSL. You can ask whatever questions you like. I'll cover some ground each night in a short talk. And in good heart and in mutual respect, we can talk about the things in life most precious to us, in our case, Jesus, and you can share as well. And you should expect that people convinced about Jesus would go out of their way to be hospitable, loving, good listeners, clear thinkers, willing to engage both with reason evidence and doubts. I'll cook chicken wings, we'll put a tab on the bar, all the food and the drink is on us. We get great feedback from those who come to life. You can have a look on the website, by the way, at videos from past participants and see what it is like. And these flyers are on the seats, take them with you today, put it on the fridge and have a think whether you'd like to come along. And we're here on Sunday as well, every Sunday, and you're always welcome. Uh, you can come and have a chat or you can fill in the response uh, card on the leaflet and it will trigger as a SMS or an email from me and we can be in touch. But I'll close by saying to the followers of Jesus here today, please don't fall for the atheist delusion that our faith is without evidence and reason. 
doubts and fears are welcome here. We can chat, we can reason together if you have them. We can consider evidence afresh. No questions are off the table because we are a community that has taken our stand with Jesus based on evidence that can withstand scrutiny, logical analysis and help you come to entirely reasonable conclusions. So it's a wise choice for us as Christians to take whatever risks are called for as we take our stand with Jesus. For each one of us, life can be far different to how we're currently experiencing it. Whether we're coming to Jesus for the first time or if we're asking Jesus to help us go push deeper into loving and living for him. Jesus has conquered death. That is the great message of Easter. Jesus has conquered death. He's displayed God's love to you. What you know to be true is true, that we are more than just atoms put together by chance. We are part of something far bigger, far grander than we can see and touch. We get to be part of God's story for our world because God has made himself part of our story. Our longing for love, mercy, justice, equality is not just some sort of evolved response. It is because we are made by a loving, merciful, just God who offers everyone on the planet a relationship with him. Yes, he does love us just the way we are, but he loves us far too much to leave us as we are. And we are called to turn from loving and justifying our sin to loving Jesus who both frees us from its penalty and gives us his spirit to help us become more like him every day. Every day is the day where we can be part of God's plans and actually discover more of whom we were made to be. Jesus is risen. He's a living Lord and you can take your stand with him today. Praise the Lord, he is risen indeed. I'll close in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much that you sent your one and only Son uh, to die on the cross on that very first Easter, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back into relationship with you. We thank you that from the very beginning you've given many convincing proofs for Jesus' actual physical resurrection. Uh, Please help us uh, today... Uh, to uh, share these truths with a world uh, that in its heart knows and longs to be something part, part of something bigger. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus has conquered death and you offer eternal life and lives today that are marked by radical change where we can love and serve you as part of your story in this world. We praise you for using your great power to raise Jesus from the grave. Please use that same power to empower our mission here to share the same good news of Jesus today and all of our days. And please empower your church right around the world on this uh, Easter of 2022. We bring you these requests and praise you in the precious and very powerful name of Jesus. Amen. (laughs)